Welcome to the Female Millennial Entrepreneur Podcast, the show by and for female millennial entrepreneurs who are building and running thriving, successful businesses while living life to the fullest. I'm your host, Alessandra Polina. This episode is sponsored by my very own DIY PR course, Make Your Brand Magnetic. It walks you through everything you need to know and do to get your brand featured in the media and therefore to get your brand in front of that wider audience in a way that will draw them in and make them want to seek you out to see what you have to offer. If you feel like you're sick of chasing down clients or customers and want for them to instead read about or hear about you and choose to come to you when they're ready to take part in what you have to offer, this course is for you. I created this for all the people who come to me for PR advice, but don't feel like they have the money to hire a firm like mine yet. If you've heard any episodes of this podcast, you've heard me talking about how any of you business owners can do your own PR. It's just a matter of having a guide and knowing exactly what to do when. So if you're not quite to the outsourcing stage, but no PR is something you need in order to grow your business, check this out today. Listeners of the podcast can get 20% off with code FME. So it's a no brainer investment in your biz. You'll find the course on my website, polinapr.com, P-O-L-L-I-N-A-P-R.com. Now on to the show. I'm here today with Krista Lewis, founder and CEO of Aisling Organics Cosmetics, and I'm so excited to have her on here today. Krista, thank you so much for being on. Absolutely. It's really my pleasure. I'm hoping that together we can share some insight that will hopefully help another entrepreneur out there listening. Yes. I love how you have that mindset. I feel like for all the listeners out there, Krista and I met a couple years ago in person and just, I don't know, I think we like really connected. I just loved her whole mindset and how successful she'd already been with in business when I feel like I think you'd only started like maybe a year ago or even less at that point and very young and was just like, you were wise beyond your years. And (laughs) I think we have kind of like a similar mindset just in terms of like helping each other in business and being really supportive of other people in business and wanting to just kind of, yeah, always support and be there for others and be along this ride kind of all together, which I love. Absolutely. I think it's so important. When I first started my business, I I almost felt like a lot of people were really in it for themselves, which is really unfortunate, especially as women, you would think that we'd be more inclusive and and wanting to teach others. And so when I experienced that firsthand, it, it really pushed me to make that one of my goals to make sure that I'm always giving people pieces of information, or something that I learned from to help them along their journeys. Because, I mean, that's the beauty of the sisterhood of entrepreneurship in general. You know, we always really need to be out there to be helping the other person and and hopefully others won't experience what I did. Yes, I love it. I totally agree. And I think think that's so true. So tell us about like how you really did get your start. Like, why did you first decide to start your business? And what was that like? Absolutely. Um, So I grew up in the beauty industry. My family owned one of the largest beauty supply distributors on the East Coast. It was called CB Sullivan Company. And so I grew up going to the hair shows, being involved with all of the makeup artists. It was really second nature to me. And then about seven years later, um, and within those seven years, I had experienced chronic migraines and nausea daily to the point where I really struggled in college because I was always the sick person. I was always the one who really had to play catch up because I couldn't give anything my all due to how I was feeling. 
And so it got to a point where I did everything I could to try to figure out what the culprit was of, the, of this nausea and migraines. And I came short. I went to the best, the best doctors and they didn't know. I, I really started eating clean and exercising and still nothing changed. So it really came down to the point where I was like, all right, you know, there must be a third factor here. I don't really believe that people just get sick out of nowhere for no reason. And so for me, it was really important just to find out what that reason was. And fast forward, probably about a couple years later, I had been sitting at my makeup counter one morning and in, in my bathroom, and I was staring at one of my makeup products, in particular, my foundation. And all of a sudden, it hit me that I had no idea what these ingredients were. Here I was reading labels left and right when I was in the grocery store and making sure that I was doing what was best for my body. But when it came to my products, I didn't think twice. And we don't. So really what I did was I sent it off to a lab to get tested and it came back with formaldehyde in it, flame retardants, mercury, aluminum. I mean, chemicals you would expect to find in an auto shop and most certainly not your beloved beauty product. Oh my goodness. So at that point, I, it was crazy. I mean, who expects that? Who really expects that? So I tossed everything I had and I said, all right, I'm just going to go find a better option, something that's clean, something that works and, and go from there thinking that it would be an easy task. But unfortunately, when you'd go to the shelves of your Sephora's or your Target's or any of these places, products would either be clean, but not work. So they wouldn't stay on my face. They wouldn't have a good range of colors. Or other products would pretend to be natural organic and weren't, which is why they did work. Because unfortunately, there's no regulations with our makeup. So I could put a bottle of, let's say, formaldehyde, which is what they used to freeze dead bodies, on a shelf, Mac organic right on the front of it, and no one's going to say a thing about it. So either way, point being, I just couldn't find an option I was happy with, and I didn't feel that women should sacrifice health for beauty or beauty for health. So at that point, it was 2016, right when I graduated college, and I decided to launch Aisling to be the first option that was really best of both worlds, high performance and organic. And that's how it began. That's such a good story. I mean, I just love how you're like, okay, there's not really anything good out there right now. So I guess I'll have to make it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? It, it really helped that I was so naive to what I was about to be up against. <laughs> um, because it was no easy journey. And it's almost like I thought it was going to be, you know, I'm like, Oh, no big deal. I'll just make it, of course, because that's what everyone does. <laughs> well, so what were like, yeah. the first couple of steps? Like, how did you figure out? Because, like, you you obviously did figure out what to do and how to make it be a real brand and and become successful. So, like, how did you figure out what to do? Were you just kind of like, did you know people or have some connections from from your family's business, or how did you figure it out? You see, that's the thing, and that's something that I, I give myself credit for. Um, definitely very early on, is the, the ability to understand my strengths and weaknesses. So when I started, I wasn't going to go try to make these products in my kitchen. It wasn't who I was. I have no patience, like literally zero patience. So I knew that I wasn't going to be sitting there like mixing cartons of different formulas and trying to bottle them. It just, it wasn't right for me. So I didn't even consider that. And that's the option that a lot of other people go with, especially with, let's say, skincare. And then, of course, they run into some challenges down the line with trying to scale that. But for me, it was just, I knew it was going to be a big company. I knew I was going to scale it. And I felt like I should do it right from the start. So that's when I just literally pulled over my laptop and went to Google and really just tried to figure out 
where you can get makeup made, which would be labs or contract manufacturers, and then just started reaching out to them and eventually found the right lab that was willing to take a chance on me to produce something that was natural and organic, which at the time was was definitely not as mainstream as it is now. It was almost laughable at the time. Right, right. Even in the last couple of years, I think there's been huge strides just in, in like the beauty world. I feel like people have also just become a lot more aware of the terrible stuff in beauty products. Yeah. And people are now like talking about it and interested in it and trying to figure out what products are okay. And there's definitely more of them now. But when you first started, there was like nothing. Absolutely. And and it's still, it's getting better, but it's still that way when it comes to makeup. Right. That's why so many people, they say, Hey, like you have a great line of organic makeup. Why don't you add skincare? And the real reason is because right now there's some great organic skincare brands out there. When you look at the makeup industry as a whole, there isn't in makeup. So why would I start dedicating precious time and energy towards products that I actually think are doing well? versus continue to expand on a segment of the industry that I feel is really lacking. That's a really good point. I think that's a great thing to like be able to recognize and be like, I don't need to expand into all these other places when I can just keep focusing on where I am. And this is what people really need from you right now because nobody else is, is doing this. Absolutely. So I what, couldn't was agree first, more. what was the first product that you ended up making? Was it one thing or did you end up kind of like with a collection of a couple products at the very beginning? I started with a collection and it was one of the biggest mistakes I made um, because I let the consumers that love my products kind of dictate how fast I launch things. Mm. And of course, when when you have a customer that loves your product, of course, they're going to say, all right, like what's next? And I really let that push me faster than I could handle up into the point where all of a sudden I had all of these products and all of these SKUs that now I had to manage inventory for, but I didn't have the cash flow for it. So if okay. I could go back in, the, in time, I would launch one product, knock it out of the park, and then launch another one and, and go from there when it came to scaling. But with that also being said, I started with the foundation, the mascara, lipstick, cheek tint, and what's the fourth one? Oh, concealer. Wow. And with that being said, that's pretty much what you needed for a full face. So I definitely was distinctive in my category because I had enough products for that. At the time, there were a lot of brands that were launching with one product. So an, an eyebrow gel or a mascara or a liquid lipstick. And so it actually made me competitive at the time, although it did cause some issues down the road. Yeah. I mean, because once you're like, oh, this is what I need. I need natural organic makeup. You don't want to only have a mascara. Like you, you like once, cause I know this right. cause once I started using your products, I was like, wait, now how can I still be using like this other thing that I know is terrible for me? Like I need them all. I need to have your foundation and your lipstick and your everything so that I don't feel like I'm like then putting one thing that's still toxic on my face. So I see why you would have wanted sure. that and why that would have been like something that your customers would have been asking for. Absolutely. So at first, so the, the manufacturer or lab was making kind of all the products for you, but then sending it to you and you were packing it out, sending it out to people like uh, you kind of alluded to, did you, or am I making that up? You said, you should said the cash flow for, for being able to create more products, but did you say something about um, like keeping inventory or something like that too? So yes, you are correct in saying that all that product was getting sent to me and 
at the time it was all in my bedroom. So it was just stacks and stacks of boxes. (laughs) And I had my desk in the corner and, you know, a little printer and my laptop and all that fun stuff. And I was doing all the shipping and packing and labeling and, and all of that. And at the time it was okay because it was a few orders here and there, nothing crazy. Um, But eventually it got up to the fact that I was packing about eight to nine hours a day in orders. And I can tell you that you'll quickly learn what you're good and not good at it or what's a waste of time. And that for me was a waste of time. Because if you really think about it, I was spending all my precious time on doing things that I could hire someone else to do Mm -hmm. while I did more high level, bringing in more sales stuff. Um, but it, instead, I was just so set on doing everything myself to save money that I was doing myself a disservice by continuing to pack and label. So a couple or a year or so later after I launched, I ended up partnering with a fulfillment center, which was about five minutes from downtown Andover. And they're the ones who now house all my inventory. They do all my shipping and packing. And at the time, it was a big expense. It scared me to hire them. But you know what? That's one of the other big things that I've learned throughout this journey is you have to continue to scare yourself with purchases because it makes you level up your business. Mm-hmm. You have no choice at that point. I was so happy to not do that anymore that I wouldn't let myself get back to the point where I had to take all that inventory back and go back in steps to be labeling and shipping again. Right. Yeah, that's so true. It makes you, you have to, you're like, I have to figure out a way to make this work. I have to figure out what to be spending my time on to bring in more sales or bring in more revenue so that I can make this make sense. Absolutely. And that's one of the big issues I see with new entrepreneurs and and the difference of why I've scaled really fast versus I see others who start, let's say, skincare lines and they're 10 years in, still just like slowly chugging along. And and really that is because I made those decisions and, and paid early on for things that I probably couldn't afford at the time. But it, it pushed me. It pushed me and it allowed me to focus my attention better. And it, it helped us scale faster than the people who are so deathly afraid of spending a penny that they just inch along year after year. Right. And then they're not making as much money either. So you're, you're not spending as much, you're not, not going to make as much. Exactly. How do you think you found or how do you think you brought in like the first sales? Like, because I feel like that's always probably the hardest and kind of scariest part is like, oh, now that I've like, launching this website? Is anyone going to buy this? Like, did people just buy, was it online, like on your website? Or how do you think people first found you or first decided to buy? Absolutely. It's a great question. When I started, I thought, you know, why wouldn't it be awesome to be an e-commerce brand? You don't have to worry about retail products on shelves. You don't have to worry about anyone taking part of your margin. I mean, the whole nine yards. But the, the real truth to that is that if you don't have money to invest in marketing, you're not going to go on anywhere as an e-commerce business. It's going to take years and it's going to drain you. Mm, yeah. So at that point, I thought, you know, that would be great, but that's not going to fuel my company at the moment. So I started doing a lot of in-person events. I mean, every weekend, multiple nights per week, anything I could do to get my products in front of people. One, because it was great, obviously exposure, meeting new people that could then tell others, all of that stuff. What was also really nice about it and something that people don't consider is the value of getting customer opinion before you scale. Mm. So at that point, I was able to talk to my customers and say, hey, like what resonates with you? Do you like this packaging? Does this smell okay? Are you sensitive to fragrances? 
Let's try it on. Do you like these tones? All these different questions that so many people just jump past, especially the people who raise investment money right off the bat. So, okay, you launch your product line, your fuel's a million bucks, and then you just start charging your product out to all of your distribution channels. And the issue with that is one, you don't really know where you're spending your money. And two is you haven't done the consumer research yet. So while it was a slower way to start, it was very helpful to be able to do those in-person events. And then in addition, I started growing my retail chain. So up until about six to eight months ago, I had about 100 stores carrying my line. Wow. And it was great. But one thing that people don't understand about retail is that let's say I had 1,000 stores carrying my line. Only about 10% of them are actually the ones where you're getting your revenues from. Mm. There's a lot of people who bring in products and are just stagnant. It doesn't sell. It's just on shelves. They don't really care about it. They're not doing what they need to do to help you sell it. The whole nine yards. So while it sounded great, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want to be in that many stores? It really wasn't the best situation for an organic line. I had to think about shelf life. I, I really had to think about if that was the path for me. So about six to eight months ago, once I was at a place where I was really stable because of the cash flow coming in from these retail retailers, I was able to then make the decision that I wanted to pivot to be a direct consumer brand only, mm-hmm. so just online. And I was able to do it then because I had fueled my brand from all these different channels and really started to generate a following. So if you don't do those things and you come right out the gate and you say, I'm going to be an e-commerce brand. Well, you better invest in marketing or you better have like some magic spell going on because it's very hard to get people to your website once you launch it. Right. People aren't just going to be like finding you online, especially at the beginning when you don't have a big name. So you're not even going to be the first thing that maybe comes up on Google or something. If they're looking for like makeup, there's going to be a lot of other things that come up first. If you aren't, if you don't have like that kind of recognition yet, but now that people have bought your products before they're knowing to go onto the website when they run out and need to get more. Is that what you mean? Exactly. Absolutely. That's what I mean. Anything that you can do to get people to then come back to your website Because so many people think that all the hard work is before you launch, Mm. but it's not. All the hard work is after you launch. And you can spend all this time on a website, but again, if you don't have any way to get people to it, then you're not going to get any sales. Yeah. And especially with like a relatively lower priced product, I imagine like it's all about getting repeat customers and having them come back and needing to buy this every couple months, like every time something runs out and make sure they come back to you rather than decide to run to CVS and just get some junky thing because they forgot to like order it or something like that. Most certainly. Yes. And, and with that being said, you need to make sure that your products speak for themselves because I had a lot of people who did just that. They would go and they would purchase, let's say our foundation and they would love it. And then they'd run out. So they would say, all right, you know, I really don't want to order online. I'm just going to go grab one from a drugstore, which was fine, but then they would use it and their skin would be very reactive because it's not used to using the chemicals anymore. Mm. So it would push them to then come back to us because they realize how much they love the product. So again, your product really has to speak for itself. I see so many companies that launch like these drop shipping websites where they have all these products that are sourced from China and they look great. And the website looks great. And then they do start to build traffic, but their products don't speak for themselves. Therefore you don't get the repeat customers. Therefore, you don't continue to scale the way you hope it would. Right. That totally makes sense. Yeah. So are you not in any stores anymore? Or are you like scaling that down slowly or something? 
I am still in the same amount of stores I was before, oh, okay. but not really. We're just build it back, build it up more. Exactly. We're not dedicating time or resources to continue to build that chain. Um, but we do have some retail partners like integrative health practitioners that do a phenomenal job selling our products because they educate. And that's the big difference. And those people who are doing such a great job, it'd be so silly of us to then pull from pull our sales and pull our products from those places because they're doing our number one goal, which is to educate first, sell second. So with that being said, there's people who I would continue to keep on our radar for the rest of the lifetime of our company. But our, all of our resources are, again, going to be set forth to our direct consumer website. Amazing. That's awesome that you've like kind of figured all that out and been able to make those pivots as needed as you've gone. How many years have you been in, in business now at this point? Just about three years. I launched in April 2016. So. Wow. Yeah, that's still super young, yeah. I think. It really is. Do you mind sharing like how long did it take to become kind of financially? I don't, I don't even know the word. Like, were there any milestones there for you? I guess like whether it was like, you know, when you started to like break even or when you started to like make money on it or when it became like a financially viable business or anything like that. Absolutely. So I just invested my savings into the business to help grow it off the bat. I didn't raise capital or anything like that when I started. And two months in, we broke even. Wow. And from there, it was a profitable profitable business, which is really great to be profitable that early on. Yeah, that sounds so incredible. It really was. We were, we were very excited. But then what happened is all the sales we were getting, we would then take that cash and reinvest it into the business. So we were covering our costs and we were staying steady, but we weren't necessarily continuing to scale at the rate in which we wanted to. Okay. So this past, fall in 2018, um, we secured a 300,000 unit deal with Ipsy. So they ordered 300,000 of our makeup brushes. And that feel alone really helped us be in a good place cash wise. Mm -hmm. So then from there, we started heavily investing in Facebook ads. And we will be doing page search soon. And we started to see the, the most traction, I would say over the past six months. Wow, that's amazing. So what does like your kind of day-to-day look like now? Do you have, are you still the one doing most of the things? Do you have a team you're working with? Like, what do you actually have to do now that the products kind of exist and, you know, you're selling through the website and have the fulfillment center? What does your task list look like on a day-to-day basis? Absolutely. So on a day-to-day basis, I'm always checking in with Meg. She is my chief marketing officer and basically my right-hand person. Um, She's phenomenal and has a great sense of humor. So it's always a nice thing to be close like that with the person that you work directly um, with on everything that you're doing for the business. Mm -hmm. So she's someone that I often touch base with on a daily basis. In addition to Andy, who is our Facebook ads guru and all things paid search. So I'm often checking in on how our social ads are doing. Um, and or social media, both of those things, which actually Meg had social media. So it's, it's really us three looped in on that side of things. And then a lot of times I'm in our studio in Andover, Massachusetts, where half of it is meant for content, the other half is office space. And a lot of times I have Joanne there, who's on our marketing team, and she's a student at Southern New Hampshire University. So she's always helping me with little tasks at hand. And then a lot of times I'm checking in with Jenna, who is our our basically head of product development. So she's doing a lot of sourcing of packaging for new products. 
and um, and then Sarah, who we have writing content for all of our channels, but but most importantly, like our blog. Wow. So, so you have they a really I do. Yes. I mean, it was definitely a process getting up to this point. It didn't just happen overnight, but I feel like we have a really solid team now of people that I can rely on and, and people that really care about the success of Aisling. So most of my days are really just checking in on all the different projects that are currently happening. I use a system called Asana, which is something that I was very thankful to have found recently. Well, I would say over the last six months as well. So it's nice being able to check in on everyone's to-do list. In addition to that, I have a lot of meetings. I'm always going to meetings, whether it's with new suppliers, whether it's a color consultation with someone who really wants to try the line but is anxious about using products because they've had allergies or anything of that sort. Mm. And then a lot of times it's being on conference calls with either my team or the labs. We're actually switching to a new lab. Um, so talking with them about the process and, and so forth. So it's a lot of communication. Yeah. Kind of just keeping everything rolling. It sounds like, how did you find all the team members? Like, how did you know who to hire and that you could trust them and things like that? That was the hardest thing, you know, for, for a while, I felt like I could just keep doing it all myself and you, and you really can't. It's, so valuable to have a, a good team, a solid team. And I would suggest doing that as, as soon as possible, although it's much easier said than done. For these people, I mean, a handful of them who I've had over the years, whether now or the past, reach out to me, believe it or not. Oh, wow. They reached out to me on LinkedIn um, and or social media. And for me, I just have such a busy schedule that it's the people who actually take initiative and don't just send me their resume on Indeed are the people that I consider because I just don't have the time to sit and go through resumes. Right. People who are going to anyone out there from the very beginning. Absolutely. Anyone who's applying for a job with any company, reach out directly. You'd be surprised, especially if they're a growing startup. Mm -hmm. I would say that that's the best way to tackle it. So did Um, you have been part of it? Did you have like job postings up though? Like, did you say you were looking for these or they just reached out to you and they were like, this is what I do. Like, would you need someone who does this? Most of them just said, this is what I do. Okay. okay. They just said, I I really love what you're doing. I I love your products and I want to be part of it. And so we went based off their specialty. Um, But with like Meg and Andy, like my key people, it was referral based. Okay. It was me needing someone and then just connecting with my network and finding people who are suitable for the position. Yeah, that's perfect. I think that's that's good to know. Absolutely. Referral, referrals can definitely be the best because you kind of know they're being referred to by someone you trust. And that means they're probably going to be good or at least like up to up to par, up to the type, type of stuff you, you're expecting. Yeah, well, well, talking about that, actually, I have a recent example of that. When we were interviewing Andy... We were also interviewing this other firm. Um, it was these two girls who were, they, they seemed to be really great, very knowledgeable about the cosmetics industry, overall a great fit. And after both meetings, we decided to go with Andy, which was an interesting choice considering he was one who had no experience in cosmetics hmm. um, and obviously was not a user of the product. And the reason why we chose to go with him is because I felt I could trust him and that he was genuine right off the bat. And I think that that's super important when it comes to something like 
paid marketing because there are so many firms out there that love to just take your money and say that they're working on things and you, you just don't see the results. Yeah. So with that being said, when we were interviewing both of them, I said, all right, I would rather work with someone who I know really cares about my money, cares about the company and cares about the success of the company over other people who may have experience directly in the industry I'm in, but I don't know if I can trust them. And so that, that was a big chance and a big decision that thankfully paid off. It can be more important the type of person it is than their actual experience or knowledge in a certain thing. If it's something that you know that they can do or that they don't like with him, it sounds like he doesn't need the beauty experience in order to do really good Facebook ads. He needs to know the money side of things and how to get results on Facebook for how much you're spending. And that's more important to be a person that you trust and that you like working with. And then you can kind of train on whatever else needs to needs to be there that he can that they can learn if need be. In this case it doesn't even sound like he needs to. It's not like he needs to try the product. But I found that too. It can, yeah. It can yep. be better to go with a with a better kind of overall person that you just jive with more rather than the person who seems like they have all the right kind of interests and qualifications, but you're not going to end up working well together. Of course. I, I couldn't agree more with that. I rarely look at resumes. I mean, in this case, of course, he had to have experience in what we were doing. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, I just sit down with someone. I don't even take a look at their work experience. And I just say, okay, is this person obviously likable? Two, can they communicate well? And three, can they learn quickly? Because the thing with, the thing with startups is it's such a beast of its own. It's not like working in the corporate environment of any sort. So when someone comes to me and they have this long resume of all this experience in a corporate environment, that's wonderful. And of course, I take nothing away from that. But that's not important to me. I need to know that you're versatile, that you can jump from task to task, and that you'll really absorb everything I teach you. So I don't know if this approach is different than some or not, but that's just the way I view it. Yeah. You seem like you know a lot about running a business. <laughs> You're very like... Hey, um, it's been trial and error. <laughs> yeah, you sound very... I mean, you obviously think about it a lot and like you're very logical about your decisions, I think, but also, I don't know, logic, but also like using your heart really, you know, figuring out what feels good to you and what seems like it makes sense. But then it also has to actually like make logical sense and be, and be the best business decision. And it seems like you've been really good at figuring that stuff out, even if you're just kind of figuring it out as you go. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I, I find that people say that, but one thing I I really do want to highlight is this has been so much trial and error. Social Mm -hmm. media all the time makes it feel like that everyone's lives are perfect and that things happened overnight and that things just came naturally. But really for me, it was a lot of hardship to know what works well. And it was no easy journey. So I hope to those listeners who are hearing this conversation and thinking that I'm just some person that was born with a natural ability to run a business, I'll tell you I was not. So anyone can do it. But with that being said, you've got to be open minded, you can't be set in your ways. If I was set in my ways along this journey, I would not have learned what I did learn. So it's so important to take a situation, especially one that didn't work out. And instead of saying, Oh, they're wrong, say, Okay, how could I approach this differently? Or what could I learn from this? So I don't repeat that mistake. 
Yes. Love it. So good. I want to go back, back, back for a second too, though, because I'm just still like really impressed that you just decided like, oh, let me start this company. Like, did you, now that you're saying all this, like, did you always think that you would be a business owner one day? Did you know that that was kind of like in the cards for you or like there, I feel like there has to be kind of maybe something that give you the confidence to be like, let me try to start my business, you know, at the very beginning. Absolutely. Um, Well, I grew up with parents who were both business owners. So that was my first example of understanding that really anything was possible. I mean, my mother is such a strong female energy who can, or I feel like can really conquer anything. So I feel like my role models were a great place to start as well as them accepting everything I wanted to do throughout the years. But also, I just, I didn't take fear seriously. Throughout my entire childhood and high school years, I just didn't think anything of it. It, for whatever reason, didn't bother me. Hmm. I remember when I was in high school, I ran for class president. And I was a part of this huge high school um, where my town didn't normally go to. So I went in not knowing a lot of people. And I remember I ran for class president the first year, my freshman year, and I lost. So sophomore year came around. And everyone was like, all right, Krista, clearly you're not running again. And I just laughed and ran again (laughs) and lost. (laughs) And then junior year came and I ran again. And guess what? I won the third time. So the point is here is just you, you can't let fear stop you. Because when you do, you're letting all those people that judged you be right. They're saying, all right, like, one, I would never put myself out on that limb. And two, this girl did and she lost. Like, now she definitely can't do it again. That's mm-hmm. just society. So for me, it was a lot of those little lessons throughout the years that just proved to myself that if you stuck with something, whether I had won that third year or not, it really teaches you a lot about yourself. And it also allows you to overcome fear and not view it as such a scary thing. Right. It's like, who cares if I lose? Like, I might win. Yeah, who cares? For real. Like, honestly, people are going to forget about it in like two to three days. Who cares? Right. Nobody, yeah, nobody even cares except for you anyway. So if you don't let it be something that's going like, to stop you or be too like embarrassing to you, then it doesn't even matter. I love that. That's such a good story. Oh, that's, I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. It's, it's just something that I learned. You know, so many people are, are fearful of fear to the point where it just stops them and it controls their day-to-day lives. So for me, whenever I feel fear to something, I step into it and I say, all right, well, I'm just going to get it over with and then continue. And, and hopefully it won't be something that makes me feel this way over and over again. Right. And it's never as scary the next time, even if it's something different. Like obviously you're not always running for class president every time, but you do something that scares you one time and then even something else that scares you the next time probably wouldn't even scare you as much as Absolutely. First time. Absolutely. So I know you also did a couple of um, like local accelerator programs when it came, like when you were starting your business. And I think I, I hadn't really known anything about those before I talked about it with you the first time. So can you just yeah. tell us a little about like what those were like and how, how and why you did them and like that they, how they impacted the business if you help think they helped grow the business or helped you kind of build it faster, anything like that? Absolutely. So I feel when a lot of people start their companies, they choose two paths. They either choose one, which is, okay, I'm just going to slowly inch into this and it will become whatever it becomes. 
Or the second path is people going into it saying, I'm going to make this huge. I am incredibly special because of this and that. And I'm going to try to make it the biggest company I can make it. And with those mindsets comes very different paths. And accelerator programs are often with the second mindset. So with people feeling like they're going to grow fast. With, which often ends up being tech companies, male-run tech companies. Yeah. <laughs> that tends to, to be, unfortunately, what it is. So at that point, I walked into my business feeling like it was going to be something huge. But I didn't realize at that time that companies like mine didn't necessarily do accelerator programs, especially not tech-focused accelerator programs. Mm-hmm. But at that time, I said, you know what? Technology is in everything we do. Of course, it's important to embrace technology with an e-commerce website. I mean, come on. That's, that is technology. Yeah. So I started looking around for resources of where I could learn more about what I was doing. And that was just something I came across. The first one was called Alpha Lofts in New Hampshire. And it was a tech-focused accelerator. And so I ended up applying and somehow getting in. And it was, I think me and one to two other women, and then all men. And again, it was tech focused. But the beauty in that is it helped me learn other people's perspectives on how they ran their businesses, especially ones that they wanted to scale. And then from there, continue to embrace what I wanted to keep from that program and what I wanted to leave. But more importantly, any accelerator, any competition you do is a great way to get publicity. It's a great way to connect with other people who are in your position. It's a great way to connect with like, public TV outlets and newspapers and magazines. And, and lastly, a lot of times you can actually win money from these. Oh, wow. So when I went through my first one, I just learned so much and embraced it that I thought, you know, why not do a second? So that's when I applied to the Women in Innovation Lab in Boston, the Win Lab, which is run by Babson. And this time, thankfully, it was an all-women-focused program. Oh, cool. So how and different again, is that? Oh my gosh, so different. It was a really cool environment. I could definitely see how dynamics change when it came to hmm. the, the different types of programs I was in. Um, but either way, it was something that was truly incredible. And I think the reason why you don't hear a lot of people going through these programs is because it's generally only the people who have these huge mindsets of what they can achieve. And not enough of us, especially women, don't embrace that when they start these businesses. So they aren't ever approaching programs like this that can help them actually scale. So for me, I just happened to be someone who did. Mm -hmm. And two accelerator programs down, I truly felt like a master in my craft, not only in the ability to communicate it, to pitch it, um, but to understand the logistics of running a business. Because now I had not only gone through it myself, struggled the first time, but then I went through Alpha Loft and learned all the basics over again. And then I went through the Wind Lab and learned them over again, again. Wow. So, so this three time I had learned it three times. Different ones. Wait, so can, I want to yeah. back up for one second. So what are these accelerators like? Like, what do you do in them? It's like a couple months long that you're going through this thing, like learning stuff about business all along, or give people the two second overview of what an accelerator program generally is like. And then I want you to go more into what you were about to say about like all the things you personally got out of it. Absolutely. So an accelerator program just by the basics is to learn everything you need to learn to build a solid foundation to grow your company. So people who are going into these programs either just started their businesses or are feeling stuck in their businesses and just need something to help them 
learn new strategies and move forward. It's kind of like you get together in person, like a, like a class or a course throughout a certain time frame. It is an in-person uh, program. Usually it's about six months long. It can be shorter than that, but it's an intensive, usually week meeting program week to week for that long. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So you're getting like a lot of knowledge and also kind of the accountability of being together every week and kind of having to talk about what you're doing, what you're working on and how you're growing. Absolutely. Yes. And, and it allows you to really test strategies with other people who are in the same position as you are and find out what's worked for them, what hasn't, what's worked for us, what hasn't and exchange strategies to make sure that you're not wasting the time on things that clearly won't work for your company, but you just don't know yet because you haven't tried. That's so good. I mean, wait, I have one other little kind of like logistical question. Are they free? Like if you get accepted into it or do you pay to be a part of those? No, they're free. They're they're totally free, which is why it's crazy that you don't see more people apply for them, especially yeah. locally. Yeah. Say yep, that they're of, free. Say the name of the women's focused one at Babson again, because I feel like everyone who's listening should go look that up and see if they want to apply. Yes, it's called the Win Lab. So Women in Innovation and Lab, I guess you could say Win Lab. And okay. it's by Babson. Everyone should go big, look that up. The big difference though is that these programs are seeking businesses that are really looking to scale. Things that are not just yourself. So it could be, you know, 20, 50, 500 employee companies. Companies that are often looking for funding. They don't all need to be, but some of that comes down to like how much you're pitching to investors. And how much you're looking to secure. So if you're not that type of company, those are just things that you'll have to either overlook um, or definitely take your time and focus on something else during the program. But it's it's really a great experience. And for free, I mean, why not? As long as you're yeah. willing to put the work in. That's amazing. It sounds like you must have learned so, so much, not only doing three different ones of those, but being around all those different business owners who were a part of it. So you really got like, an inside look into all different types of businesses, all different kinds of business owners and how they're running their businesses, what's working, what seems to be kind of like a general trends that are working for all different types of businesses versus specific businesses. That seems like such invaluable knowledge that you're able to gain from those. Absolutely. I mean, I, I always say you can't learn it enough. So even if you're learning the basics of starting a business, you could learn it 5, 10, 20 times and still gain knowledge from that process. So it was really incredible just to see how other people look at the situation. I mean, I probably pitched my business at least 20 times in each program. So, So that's wonderful. And the great thing about accelerators is they always end with a demo day, which is where all companies just showcase their company. And then there's often a pitch competition for money during that same evening. So that's something that happened twice and they invite the public. So the public that usually comes are people who are valuable, people who understand their industries, people who embrace who they are. So it's really great to connect with these people in both situations. So I would do 500 if I could. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So what do you, I know you're doing some kind of some new projects now, kind of, I think, based off of how much you have learned and figured out and know on running business. So tell us, like, what are you kind of working on now? Absolutely. Um, A story I actually just shared, I think, yesterday on social media that I think would be nice to share with your listeners is I was at a pitch competition in Boston, which this is different than accelerators. They're just competitions, business competitions that go on anywhere and everywhere. So definitely apply for them. Um, But either way, I was 
in a pitch competition, they had taken, I think, 100 applications and boiled them down to 30. And then the 30 of us pitched for them to boil it down again to six. And then out of the six, one person would win. And either way, I was in the evening where I had been one of the 30 that they were going to boil down to six. And I was sitting next to this individual who seemed, one, incredible. I mean, he had a great presence just chatting with him. He told me all about his business. One of the most notable things that he had mentioned was that he raised $10 million in funding, which if you've ever raised funding before, you know that that is pretty darn incredible. It's not an easy task whatsoever. And so in addition to that, he also had mentioned that he had won certain competitions, that he had been featured in amazing press. I mean, the whole nine yards. And while talking to him, it hit me that he really deserved to win this competition. Hmm. And it wasn't a sense of me not feeling confident in my own ability. It was me being able to put myself aside and knowing when someone else deserves to win. Like truly, like I wanted him to win. He deserved it. So anyways, it was time for the pitches and he goes up and he gives his pitch. And he doesn't say a single thing that he told me, not wow. one thing. And it shocked me. It really shocked me because I couldn't believe that he wouldn't share all of those notable points with the people that should know it the most. And at that point, I, I went on quickly after him, done my pitch. And then when it came down to the top six, he was not one of the ones chosen. And I was. Wow. And it's not because my business was better. It's not because it was further along. It wasn't because of any of those things. It was because I knew how to communicate it well. And I knew how to communicate in a way that was attractive to the people listening. And not in like a deceitful way or I'm just going to, you know, be shady and get my way to the top. None of that. It just came down to the fact that I was truly authentic with myself and confident enough to present what I thought made us special. Right. So my point here is that business, but not like why people should care about it or why it's exactly worth winning basically. Exactly. And I see it too often. And it's not just with women. I see so many people who focus heavily on their product idea, their business plan, scaling behind the scenes, all these different things. But when it comes down to introducing yourself and letting people know what you do, they can't communicate it effectively. Mm, No one, no one understands it. I mean, I remember when I went into the tech accelerator program, I asked some people what they did and I didn't even know what they did. I mean, we went around the circle and I probably couldn't even understand what half of them did. Yeah. And that's just the whole thing here. People don't spend enough time communicating their business effectively or learning how to. So at not only that point, but with all the stuff that I learned about starting a business over and over and over again. I decided that I felt like I, there was a lot that I could offer other entrepreneurs out there. And not that I have a lot of time to do it, but it's really my sense of giving back. If I have some extra time where I can help someone else not make the mistakes that I did, then it, it feels good to me. I feel like I'm, I'm helping someone get faster along than they could have without. So that's why I decided to launch a personal website, which is KristaLewis.com. So K-R-Y-S-T-A. L-E-W-I-S dot com. And on that website, you'll see my first course, which is from concept to company in eight weeks, because I truly believe that so many entrepreneurs spend too much time on the logistics of their business, that by by the time they actually launch, they lose all their passion. I mean, Mm -hmm. who needs to write a 50-page business plan? I mean, I I don't think so. So anyways, that's the first course that I launched, um, but I'm also launching a podcast called The Pitch Playbook and then a specific course based on pitching um, because that is something that I 
know and love and that I feel I could help others with. So that is a part of my business that was just recently launched to hopefully give back. That's so exciting. Wow. That sounds really, really cool. Thank you. Yes. I'm I'm super excited to see how it pans out. That's for sure. Yeah. You get to actually now give back to all the, uh, give back some of the things that you've been able to learn and pick up on the way. I feel like if, if I was going to be starting a a product-based business, you're definitely the one I would come to, to ask all the questions and try to figure out how, like, what do I do? Is it mostly for companies or would it be applicable for people who are not even doing product-based companies or is it mostly um, geared towards that? It is. It's, it's for anyone. I even break down like creating online courses through like Kajabi, um, different platforms for service-based businesses in addition to product ones. I also teach about finding the right suppliers and that can be business related or it can be um, just coming down to the right people or partners to work with for websites or graphic design or social media or when to spend and when to not spend. Mm. All those little things that it took me so long to learn that if people took this course, they would learn it in eight weeks versus two, three, four years. Oh my gosh. That sounds so valuable. How? um Yes. Yeah. So people just can find that on the on the new website. That's the crystallewis.com website. Yep, we are enrolling now. I have three spots left. It's going to be launching on May 1st. Um, in addition to the course modules, we have four Zoom calls. So, oh, so it's like a group-led program. It is, yes. Okay. Um, really, the hope is that while you're doing the course, and let's say you already started your business. You don't have to just be in the, the stage of thinking about one. What you'll do is you'll go over the module. And if something doesn't apply for you, then during that Zoom course, I'll be helping you. I'm sorry, Zoom call. I'll be helping you with a different issue that's more applicable for you. Oh, that sounds amazing. Okay, so yes, yeah, you said that's launching May 1st. Okay, I'm going to try to get this episode up really soon. <laughs> so hopefully people can hear this before that part. <laughs> but you'll you'll probably offer like, it like oh later, right? Or at some point after after the first round, you'll do it again. Absolutely. Yeah. I just don't know when because I really want to dedicate my time to these students in addition to running Aisling full time. So I'm trying to be very careful about when these launch to make sure I can give people my undivided attention. True. Yeah. It's not like you're not already like super busy and (laughs) running a full time (laughs) company or anything. Oh, just no big deal. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You're amazing. You're so inspirational. I love it. And I can't wait to hear your new podcast. You'll have to let us know when that, um, when that airs too. Do you have a launch date for that yet or not? Not really. Not yet. I've really been right now curating the right type of people to interview. The, the whole premise of it is understanding how to pitch effectively. But, um, more importantly, I want to enter, um, enter interview people who have pitched, let's say to investors, Mm -hmm. because I want to understand what their valuation was and how they came to that. And I want to hear that from multiple people. So when we're thinking about how we should value our companies, we have great examples. I also want to know how people pitch their company when they open their presentation. You know, obviously I do it a certain way, but I wonder how others do it. I want to talk like nitty gritty financials. I want to hear where people are at financially when they are pitching in different ways to different people. So it's really going to be a valuable resource to people not only pitching to investors, but pitching in general, whether it's to an accelerator or competitions or even to day-to-day people, because we forget that we're always pitching 24-7. Yeah, 
Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Well, you'll have to let me know if you have any more details on there, whenever you have details on that. And I'll update the show notes for this show so that even if it's like a year from now, like not saying it's going to take that long, but <laughs> whenever it is, I'll put that on here. So if people are listening, if, and when this podcast is out, you can find information on it. But um, you also already said what it's called. So people can always search if you think it might be out by the time you're listening to this, it's going to be called what again? The pitch playbook. The pitch playbook. I love that. So good. Thank okay. you. Awesome. Okay. So I want, I need to ask you the two questions that I always try to ask people at the end of this show, which is what is one thing that you wish you had known more about when you first started your business? We'll start with that one. Yeah. What is one thing that you wish you had known more about when you first began? One big thing that I wish I knew more about was the ability to negotiate. Mm-hmm. A lot of times as new entrepreneurs, we feel like we don't have any power and that the person that we're working with does have all the power. And if I were to be able to go back a few years, I would understand that it's so important to step into your power right away and understand that these people need you just as much as you need them. And it comes down to pitching. If you can pitch yourself clearly and make them understand the value and what you bring to the table, it will help you when it comes to negotiating. So you're getting fair prices right off the bat and that you're, you're not being taken advantage of just because you're new. So good. Yes. Especially as women, I think, and especially as like younger women, because of course take you as seriously or, and it might even also sometimes be the perception that we have on ourselves. Like maybe we just assume they're not going to take us more seriously, but you have to go into it as if they should (laughs) so that they will. Absolutely. I could not agree more. Leave us with like one last tip or piece of advice or something that you would share with other entrepreneurs. Sure. Um, The last piece of advice I would share is to make sure that you're organized systematically in a sense that everything that you do should have a purpose and everything should be maximized to its biggest potential. So what I mean by that, yeah, what I mean by that is really wherever your energy is going, make sure that something that you enjoy doing, that you're good at doing, and that's the best use of your time. And if it's not, then either find technology for it, you know, so bookkeeping. I mean, I love like bench.com. That's a wonderful website for bookkeeping that automates it. And or let's say you are launching a podcast. Your time isn't best used editing it per se. Mm -hmm. So outsource that. Use like upwork.com or Fiverr or any of these places to have someone else do that. So you can continue to focus on revenue boosting operations. Because too many of us spend so much time on all the logistics that we end up realizing that years have gone by and none of our energy is based on growing the company, based on sustaining it. Yes. Good. You are so smart. I love it. (laughs) I appreciate that. (laughs) Sharing all of these like super helpful bits of wisdom today. Can you tell people... um, where else they can find you and how they can find your products. Because I know we talked about your website, but people can also buy the cosmetics online and they should go do that. They should, everyone should go buy some right now because you don't want to be putting toxic chemicals on your face every day, (laughs) which I feel like we didn't even talk about that much because I was so kind of into the nitty gritty of like the business and how you're making this happen. But people can find out a lot of information on your website too, about kind of more about the makeup industry and like why it's so important for it to be, to be using clean beauty, right? On your website and on social media too. 
Absolutely. Yes. I definitely suggest following our Instagram. That's where you're going to get most of our, in- our information, especially on the industry. And that's Aisling Organics. So A-I-S-L-I-N-G Organics with an S. And then our website's the same thing. Just add a www in front of it and a .com after it. So aislingorganics.com. Both of those places will give you everything that you need to know. But again, our Instagram is densely populated with good info. Awesome. Yes, I've been loving it lately. I follow personally and you have such good stuff on there. Okay, so and is that the best way for people to connect with you? Probably either one of those places or at crystallewis.com or is there anything else more personal if people want to reach out? Because our whole kind of premise here is to be building a community and you know, if somebody wants to reach out and say, hi, want to connect with you besides just buying your product, we want them to feel free to do that too. So if anybody is interested in Krista's course, other information, or just wants to say hi, because she's awesome, feel free to reach out and get in touch. Are those, and are those the best places for that? Absolutely. And or you can email me directly and it's Krista, K-R-Y-S-T-A at Aisling, A-I-S. L-I-N-G organics.com. So Krista at aislingorganics.com and fastest with email. So please send one if you have any questions. Awesome. Okay. And I'll include all of that on the notes for the, for the episode so people can find you and find the products and find the course and the podcast when it comes out. I'm so excited about Wonderful. what you're working on. This is awesome. I, I'm so Thank glad so to much. have met you and I can't wait to keep seeing what you're going to accomplish in the next three years after having done all this in, in the last three. Hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate your listeners and, and also everything that you've grown. You've really garnished a community of strong, powerful women and probably men too, who, who really embrace themselves and, and their power. So I, I really commend you on getting those types of people together because it's definitely not easy. Oh, thank you so much. That is so nice to hear. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the Female Millennial Entrepreneur Podcast so you won't miss the next episode and leave a review on iTunes with your favorite takeaway from this episode. Also, don't be shy to get in touch with me or anyone you heard on the show. We're all about connecting and our Instagram handles and other links are always in the show notes and we're always happy to hear from you with thoughts, ideas, or even suggestions of someone you'd love to hear me talk to on the show. You can also submit guests online at polinapr.com slash podcast. Lastly, please drop a comment on the post for this episode on the podcast Instagram at female millennial entrepreneurs to let me know you listened. Tune in next time.